Hear the word of the Lord. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, as earth on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning, Sojourn. Peace be with you. My name is Bobby. I'm one of the pastors here. Today we're continuing our series, The Good Life, Living the More You Were Made For. We all have a hunger for meaning and purpose in our lives, but often we live our lives uh, feeling like there is no meaning or, or no purpose to it. Like we're just a shell of ourselves, hollow on the inside, and the things we do and we say each day don't seem to matter. No one seems to notice. No one seems to care. They don't seem to make any difference. We're just, well, hollow. Now today we are right in the middle spot, exactly in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount in a section where Jesus teaches us how to pray. If you came last week uh, for the first time on our Easter Sunday, uh, today's story is a prequel to that. It occurs about two years before the resurrection of Jesus. So why all these millennia later, why do we listen to Jesus' instructions? Because he rose from the dead. Somebody does that, I'm sticking with that guy. And so if our lives feel hollow, like we're missing out on meaning and purpose, And if Jesus proved to be God's son by rising from the dead, then we should pay attention when he says, this is how you can talk to God. The cure for a hollow life probably lies somewhere in this relationship. Now, it also depends on us realizing that life will never have meaning until we see ourselves as a means. Not an end in ourselves, but a means to an end, something bigger than ourselves. That's what it means to have meaning. It's to know that the life you lead, the person you are, the things you do are a means to some end. But what end? We experience so many dead ends in life, so many dead ends in relationship, so many dead ends in jobs and careers. Even in the context of church life, uh, maybe you've tried to do good things for God. Maybe you can say, you know, I I wanted to be a worship singer, but I couldn't pass the audition. I I thought maybe I could be a preacher, and all my friends said, that is not for you. Uh, Maybe you even tried to start uh, some sort of nonprofit to alleviate suffering, but for whatever reason, uh, you couldn't even get it off the ground. Maybe, maybe somewhere in this text, God is giving us the key and the clue. He'll answer our meaning, our quest for meaning and purpose in life. Let's dive in. Matthew 6, verse 7, Jesus says, When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Empty phrases means an attempt to manipulate God through repetitive, long-winded prayers, perhaps saying the right combination of words over and over. Other ancient religions taught that the gods would only hear mortals when we wore ourselves out in long, emotionally exhaustive prayers, saying just the right words, maybe making just the right deals with the gods. Hey, if you will do this for me, then I will do this for you. And then if you will do this, I pledge to do this. 
Jesus says, verse 8, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. It's not that God doesn't love hearing from you. Jesus isn't saying don't bother God. He's attacking the idea that you have to earn your hearing with God through uh, wearing yourself out or coming up with just the right words. Just enough enticements. But the Lord's Prayer does hold the clue and the key to how we find meaning. Sometime over the next 20 minutes, you might say, hey, I'm learning a lot of good things about this prayer, but I don't see how this all ties together or what it has to do with giving me the cure for a hollow life. But trust me, at the end, this will all come together, and I think we'll learn something that is transformative for each of us. So, verse 9, Jesus says, pray then like this. Now, he doesn't say, only pray these words, but this is how you should pray. This is a model prayer. You can pray other things. God loves to hear from you. But this prayer reveals God's heart and shows us how to grow in our relationship with him. This is important because if our lives must be a means to an end in order to have meaning, the end likely has something to do with our creator and the purpose he had in giving us a beginning. So we continue on, verse 9. Jesus says, pray like this, our Father in heaven. The first key word here is our. Jesus, uh, through his shed blood, brought us into a family so we could be adopted by God the Father into a family with millions and millions of brothers and sisters. This is a communal prayer. Even when you pray this all alone, you are joining your voice with countless people all over the world every day and down through time who have said this prayer. The next key word is father. The word Jesus used here for the English father is Abba, which is not the band Abba. It has nothing to do with Mamma Mia or Dancing Queen. This is the word that Jewish children would say for daddy. It's an intimate term. It's the first word that babies learn to address their fathers, although Jewish people would continue to say Abba when they grew up, whereas most of us grow out of daddy. Now, some scholars say... Let's be real careful about calling God daddy because we don't want to be irreverent. And I, and I get the heart, but I, I'm not sure I agree with that. Because those of you with children, especially with grown children, will know that you were never more revered as a father than when your children were little, calling you daddy. So let's not be irreverent, but let's cultivate a childlike faith. Also, some of you had a bad or absent father. It may take a while to relate to God in this way. But the key to your pain is not the banishment of the father role. It's the presence of a perfect, loving father. Finally, in heaven, this is the creator of the cosmos, high and lifted up in majesty and power. And yet, Jesus gives us the honor of calling him Abba, Father, Daddy. Our Father in heaven, this phrase, is a picture of his awesome transcendence and his affectionate nearness to us. He continues in verse 9, hallowed be your name. We don't say hallowed much anymore. It's kind of a weird word. I'm glad we haven't ruined it like awesome. A tasty slice of pizza is not awesome. It's just tasty. Now, Thank you. I, I, now I am... I am one of the worst offenders of this, and so probably every one of you over the next few months are going to have an opportunity to say, hey, didn't you preach on this? Uh, because it's just a hat, like, 
For instance, when you, when you came in the room, we handed you a bulletin, and it has a lot of events and opportunities on the back, like a mental health seminar right after this service here in this room. Also, at the end of the week, we're doing a swing dance. Um, now, if I say to you at some point this week, if I ask you, are you going to the swing dance, and you say yes, then probably before I can even catch myself, I will say, awesome! The truth is, you going to the swing dance is nice. It's not awesome. Unless you're a way better dancer than you probably are. If we, use, if we use awesome to describe going to the swing dance on Friday night, then what word do we have to describe God or even the Grand Canyon? Maybe triple dog dare awesome? I don't know. Let, let's keep hallowed, hallowed unique. Let's keep it weird. It means holy, special, one of a kind. Amazing, worthy of all praise, glorified. This is the first thing that Jesus teaches us to pray. Father, let your name be hallowed. Claim all glory and honor. Later, we'll discover that this is the key to this whole prayer and our whole lives if our lives are going to be filled with meaning. Verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done. This was Jonah's text last week. Uh, These two phrases, your kingdom come, your will be done, basically mean the same thing. How do you know God's will for your life? It's to use your life in service of his kingdom. Hey, a lot of people spend many, many years, and they travel all around the world trying to figure out God's will for their life. I just told you in like two seconds, so you're welcome. How do you know God's will for your life? It's to use your life in service of his kingdom. That could mean preaching or missionary work, or that could mean writing software or burping babies to the glory of God. As we read these petitions, these requests to God, knowing what else Jesus has been teaching here on this Sermon on the Mount, it occurs to us that God has chosen primarily to hallow his name, bring his kingdom, and for his will to be done through us, his people. As we pray, we remember that we need to give him glory, and we need to be signposts pointing to his kingdom. But we also remember that it is God himself who is in control. He does the work. The author, Trillia Newbell, says, Our hope is not in our prayer, nor our action. Our faith and hope is in our God. When we pray, God, let your name be hallowed. Let your kingdom come. We're not commanding him. He doesn't need us to pray this. He doesn't need us to accomplish this, but it does something for us. Let's pretend that football season is finally here again. Our Colts have the ball. Luck drops back to pass. He throws a bomb. T.Y. Hilton is running. He's trying to get under it. He's trying to catch it. T.Y. Hilton is at the 50, the 45, the 40. He Catches it at the 35. Nearest defender is five yards back. He's got a clear shot at the end zone. 75,000 of us rise out of our seats at Lucas Oil Stadium, and we're shouting, run, run. There's a million of us at home watching on TV. Leap up off the couch, chips spilling all over the floor. We're shouting, run, run, lifting our voice with that throng at Lucas Oil Stadium. Now, here's the thing. T.Y. is going to run. He doesn't need us to tell him that. He doesn't catch the ball and look at it and say, what do I do now? (laughs) What do you all understand saying? Run? You think I should run? T.Y. 
doesn't need us to tell him what to do, but something wonderful happens when our hearts and voices sync together and they sync with his heart. Imagine that was the Super Bowl. That was the game-winning score. You're at the after party. You're talking to T.Y. You say, man, I was cheering so loud for you when you caught that ball. I was shouting, run. And he says, I know I could hear y'all. And when I crossed the goal line and you came unglued, that was amazing. God's kingdom will come and he will be hallowed whether we pray or not. But Jesus is teaching us to shout, run, as our hearts sink with his heart and the Father's heart. And in this way, we participate in the grand drama in all of history. And that probably has something to do with the cure for a hollow life. We'll see. He continues in verse 10, on earth as it is in heaven, these first three petitions let your name be hallowed, your kingdom come, your will be done, had to do with God. They were directed toward God. The next three will be about us, and this phrase is preparing us for that. This phrase on earth as it is in heaven uh, is pretty simple, really. In heaven, the angels carry out God's will perfectly. What he wants done gets done. We're saying, God, help us do your will here like the angels do it there, because this is the visible sign that your kingdom is growing on this earth. Verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. This is a prayer for us, but even this is about God's name being hallowed. Daily bread means give us what our bodies need to sustain us so we have the strength to do your will. In the Old Testament, the book of Proverbs chapter 30 it was put like this, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. This is why well-to-do Christians down through time have given so much to God's work. They don't need riches, just daily bread. Now, if we're honest, all middle-class American Christians live like kings compared to most of the rest of the world and most of the people down through time. This morning, I've already had pancakes and eggs with the Sunday servants. Then between services, I was walking by this random room and it was filled with, I ate a cinnamon roll. Hopefully it was not yours. Um, <laughs> there's not a doubt in my mind that I'm going to have lunch. I'm going to have supper. Probably going to have some ice cream tonight before bed. And I'm going to go to sleep with no worries about whether I'm going to get to eat tomorrow. Every time we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we're saying, God, all of us, including those who don't have what we have. We're saying, God, use me to accomplish this. Verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. The original audience, the people that were watching Jesus preach the Sermon on the Mount, thought of every sin as a debt to God. Imagine like a, a gold brick, a, a sin brick. And every time you sin, this brick gets added to a wall. God is on the other side of the wall. You're over here. Every time you sin, another brick adds to this wall. Every time you do a good deed, God takes away one brick. And it goes on and on like this throughout your life. Now, Jesus is using this imagery that every one of them would have been familiar with to say something scandalous and radical, that we can pray for God to wipe away all the bricks 
the entire wall, not because we've pledged to do enough good deeds, but simply because we asked him to. God will do this because of Christ's once-for-all payment of our sin debt on the cross. He knows that even as Christians, we will sin. We will sin in the future. And his payment for sin is for all of those future sins, not only the ones we committed before we became Christians. So we can be assured that we are forgiven of our sin, but like a good father, he still wants us to come to him and to confess to him and repent to him because it is good for us. It feels good to be forgiven. But what about this second part? As we also have forgiven our debtors. Does this mean we have to earn God's forgiveness by forgiving others? It isn't freely given to us through Christ. Remember, we wouldn't even be able to address God as Abba, Father, if we hadn't been forgiven of our sins and adopted into God's family. This isn't conditional Forgiveness. This is coincidental forgiveness. A vengeful heart does not truly believe in God's forgiveness of sins. A heart that is able to ask for forgiveness without giving it is not living in faith. It's a heart that is saying, I don't really want to be a part of this family. But this is a comforting verse for all of God's children. When we find ourselves able to forgive someone who has hurt us deeply, This is evidence that God is working in us to make us like Jesus. Verse 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. When you read this verse, imagine that temptation, sin, testing beyond what you are able is like a a big pit. On the other side of that pit is the evil one, Satan, and he's luring you. He's saying, one step closer, just one step closer. This word uh, in English, deliver, in the original language is a very strong, almost violent word that can mean seize, snatch, rescue. If you saw your little child about to step into a deep pit or about to step in front of a moving car, you would grab him, you would snatch him, and you would hold him tight to your chest. That's what we are asking our daddy, our father, to do for us. But... How do all the details of this prayer relate? I said at the start that the key to the whole thing is, to, is what, God, what Jesus says to ask God for first. Hallowed be your name. Let your name be hallowed, glorified, honored, praised, worshipped. Everything else flows from this. The rest of the prayer is God's plan for how he will hallow his name. His kingdom will come. His will be done, his people sustained, forgiven, lifted above temptation, and protected from the wiles of the evil one. He does these things for us and through us, and his name is hallowed among us, which is what we were created for. Remember I said we will never find meaning until our lives are a means to an end. There's a a great tool that Christians have used for centuries and centuries to teach their children and to teach new converts the basics of Christianity. It's called a catechism. It's simply a system of questions and answers about the basics of the Christian faith. And one of the most famous ones, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, begins this way. Question one, what is the chief end of man? Just curious, could anyone shout it out? Does anyone... Yes, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. God's ultimate 
purpose in having his kingdom come, his will be done, his ultimate purpose in sustaining us with daily bread, in forgiving, leading, and delivering us is that we glorify him. Our lives are a means to this end. And when we accept that, we find joy. When will the spoon finally be happy? When it stops trying to cut steak like a knife and it starts scooping in the mashed potatoes or pudding. So what's the cure for a hollow life? If it hasn't sunk in yet, maybe uh, sometimes to find an answer, you have to retrace your steps. Or uh, maybe you can't figure out a math problem. And the teacher says, well, here's the answer. Now, work it backwards. So let's work the Lord's Prayer backwards. It would look something like this. Our Father in heaven, snatch us away from the pit of the evil one. And when we fall, forgive us as we forgive others by your grace. Give us what we need to sustain us each day so we can carry out your will on earth like the angels carry it out in heaven so that the kingdom of heaven will advance on earth and thus your name will be hallowed. And we pray, do this through your children, Father, because this is the end for which our lives are a means. It's why you created us and we can only find a never-ending purpose in doing what we were created to do. And we say, thank you, Father, because now we know that the cure for a hollow life is a hallowed God. It is in the hallowing, the worshiping, that we find our meaning and we find our joy. And this is easy to see in some aspects of life. Like when we come together here on a Sunday and we sing, you're a good father, blessed be the name of the Lord, Lord of all the earth, we shout your name and it feels so good while we're here together. Maybe this is even easy to understand when you're doing something like leading a community group or teaching the gospel to a child, or you're going on a missionary trip. Maybe even this is something you can connect to if you do very important work, if you're a doctor, if you're a police officer, or something like that. Maybe even if you're just a a very important person, maybe you own your own business or something like that. But for most of us, it's hard to see the mundane things of our life as having any point. It's hard to connect them with this, this great chief end that men and women were created for to glorify God and to find our joy in that. Let's say, let's say you're a customer service rep at a call center, big, big call center, and you're, you're in this, this huge office. It's like Dilbert or the office. You're, you're sitting in a, a pod or um, you know, whatever they call them. And uh, all day long, people are calling in, and they're calling mostly complaints, or you know, they ordered this, but they got this other thing, or it doesn't work, or... Um, They weren't expecting shipping to be so high, and come on, Amazon gives me free shipping. Whatever it is, you're, you're, you're dealing with these mostly complaints all day long. And you don't even have total freedom to say whatever you want because there's a script in front of you uh, that, that says, like, if, if they say this, then you say this. And if they say this, then you can offer this. And if they say this, then you get the manager. And your manager is frequently lift, l- listening in on the calls, and then she'll go back to you later and let you know what you did wrong. And so you, there's all this pressure, and, and you're thinking, we just sell stamps. Who cares about any of this? But what you do, what you do is you are working to bring reconciliation between this customer who is a human being created in the image of God and this business owner or owners who are human beings created in the image of God. Who else works to bring reconciliation? Jesus, your big brother, 
sent here by God the Father. It's never about just selling stamps because you don't know what that customer, you don't know what his day is like. You don't know what she's been through. You don't know what even if all you have to communicate is the tone of your voice in treating them with empathy as a human being worth your dignity, worth your time. You don't know what even that can do for somebody. And in this work, you are hallowing the name of your God. What about lawn care? Cutting, I had to mow the grass yesterday. Well, why do we do things like that? God put us here on this earth. He gave us a charge to care for the earth, to govern the earth, to cultivate the earth, to cause it and everything and everyone on it to flourish. And so when we take care of our lawn, when you're mowing or you're planting or you're pruning, we are doing what we were created to do, and we are hallowing the name of our God as we do that. And God doesn't measure success the same way we do, because remember, T.Y. Hilton is going to run. You're free to attempt even great, audacious things for the kingdom. And if it doesn't go the way you hope, his kingdom will still come. Maybe someday you'll reach a point in your life where there is literally nothing you can do, nothing physically you can do. But as long as you have breath, you can pray this prayer. You can shout, run, run. And then one day, You'll finally be in the presence of God. He'll say, welcome home. I've got a room made up just for you, just the way you like it. And you'll say, I tried to do this thing for you one time, and it wasn't as fruitful as I'd hoped. And he'll say, I know you did. You made me so happy. My four-year-old daughter, Lydiana, likes to draw pictures for me. Here's one. It's not ready for the gallery. But that's my girl. And that's how your heavenly father feels about you. He looks at the mess of your life and he says, that's my girl. That's my boy. And each day, no matter what you do in life, At the end of the day, when you present the picture of your day to your heavenly father, he looks at it and he sees that the lines could have been straighter. You could have used a better colored crayon. He sees that your elephant looks like a porpoise. And he notices your little sister spilled milk on a corner of it. And he knows that he still has some fathering to do. He still has some teaching to do. He still has some correcting to do. But he is patient with you. He says, I am blessed by this. And he sings over you while you sleep. The cure for a hollow life is a hallowed God because a hallowed God transforms a hollow life. So, I have a challenge for you. We'll call this the Monday challenge because this is for tomorrow. It's going to be very simple. Half the room has already done it. Ah, skipped ahead. Here we go. Memorize the Lord's Prayer. 66 words. 
about 30 seconds. Anyone can do this. When you came in and we handed you that bulletin, you'll notice on one side, if you open it up, on one side, there's the contemporary version that I preached from today. And the other side, there's the classic, classic, classic version from the Book of Common Prayer. Uh, it's the version that turns up in greeting cards and uh, movies. And again, most of you have probably, or many of you have already learned that if you grew up in the church somewhere. Um, so if you're going to read this together, if you're going to recite this together as a community, community group, I would recommend maybe you use that version because it's the version that most of you memorize. Uh, it's the version that the elders pray here together. And whenever we meet, the, the staff prays that version together a couple times a week. Um, so memorize that prayer tomorrow. You can do it. 66 words. Uh, if you've already memorized it, then my challenge for you tomorrow is to say it three times, maybe morning, midday, and uh, evening. At least one of those times, say it and expand on it. Say, uh, our Father, and then stop and, and praise him for the fact that he is our Father, that he's brought you into a family with countless brothers and sisters. Praise him that you can call him Father, that you can call him Daddy. Then say, who art in heaven, and praise him for the sun, the stars, the moon, the air that we breathe, and most of all, this invisible, sinless, deathless dimension that is breaking free to earth. And continue on praying like that. It, if... This goes well for you tomorrow. Consider making this a regular practice, saying the Lord's Prayer aloud at least once, twice, three times a day. The theologian Marva Don says, your life is shaped by the end you live for. We are made in the image of what you desire. This prayer teaches us to desire God's will and ultimately to desire God. It shapes us for the end we were made for, the more we were made for. It reminds us again and again that the cure for a hollow life is a hallowed God. One more thing. So that's tomorrow, uh, Monday challenge. A week and a half from now, a week from this Wednesday, we are hosting a night of prayer right here in this auditorium at 6.30 p.m. We hope all of you can come. This is going to be, the training wheels are off. This, we're going to come together and we're going to pray. We're not, it's not going to be quite as structured as a Sunday morning. We're not going to say, here's some words uh, that are underlined and read these with us. We may recite the Lord's Prayer. We may read a scripture too. We'll definitely sing a few songs, but we're mostly going to pour our hearts out to God because that is our right and that is our privilege as children of our Heavenly Father. If you need healing, if you have any prayer request, if there's anything wrong in your life, in your body, we will pray for you. We will pray together with you. So make plans to join us. If, if your community group meets on Wednesday night, even if it meets another night that week, consider making that your weekly community group meeting. Just come together as a group. We have the wonderful honor of talking to our Heavenly Father. But it comes at the ultimate cost to his eternal son. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread like this one. And after giving thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Then he took a cup of wine like this one. And he said, this is my blood shed for you. Drink this in remembrance of me until I come again. We are forgiven and brought into God's family because of this sacrifice and because Christ arose and promised to come again. We can think of that future time when he will raise a toast and a pure praise will arise from every child of God. Your kingdom has come. 
Your will is done. You've supplied all our needs, wiped out our debt, brought temptation and the tempter to an end, and your name is forever hallowed in all of creation, for yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. If you're not a Christian, I would ask that you don't come forward when we partake of communion, simply because it symbolizes something you haven't accepted yet, and it wouldn't make sense for you to do so. But instead, I urge you to pray at your seat, to pray with the Christian that you know, the Christian maybe who brought you here this morning to receive Christ, and we can prepare you in the weeks to come to be baptized and to begin partaking of communion with us. Uh, In just a moment after we pray, you'll tear off a piece of bread, you'll come forward, there'll be stations up front, tear off a piece of bread and dip it into the cup with wine or juice. The cups with wine have strings of twine tied around them. If you need gluten-free communion elements, you'll find them in this far corner over here, my left, your right. If you're in the back half of the room, we'll have communion stations in the back right in front of the soundboard. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for being a good, good Father, for giving us the right to call you Father. When we were rebels, when we had no desire to be a part of your family, no desire to do your will, no desire for your kingdom to come. You sent your son to bring us in to your family. You've given us all of your riches at Christ's expense. You've adopted us. You love us with an eternal, unquenchable love. Father, I pray as we come forward that your Holy Spirit inside of us quickens within us a desire to know you more, to understand more deeply our position as your children. that every promise that you've given us is for us, it's for our good. Help us to realize the depths of your love for us and the love that our elder brother Jesus had for us in dying for our sins, in rising from the grave so that we might also rise and have new life, forever life, in your family. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.